0: You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Josh Parish, George Taneke and a very special guest to start the program off for 2022. And we don't go, uh, you know, first class, second class. We go to the top of the class. Uh, Gary Cole former socceroo, in fact, always a socceroo. I mean, there's no such thing. It's like a former <laughs> Olympian. You're always an Olympian. He's a socceroo uh, from a he from is. a golden time. And welcome for joining us on what we call State of Our Football Nation. Gary, how are you?
1: Very well, thanks, George. Thank you, Josh and George, for the invite. It's great to be here. But, mate, I'm good. I've, got to, I've worked, finally worked out, George, after yes. a, a tough couple of years.
0: If you wake up in the morning you get out of bed, it's a bloody good day, and today is a bloody good day. Yes, and I, I can't uh, do anything else but concur. You're absolutely right. You've you've been on a bit of a health uh, journey, uh, a bit of a scare, but you fought you fought it well, and uh, looking good, Captain. Uh, this is the most important thing, and I can also see in you a new fire, a new focus. You're getting right behind uh, helping some of the uh, young coaches and some of our older coaches to get even better at what they do and, and how they play their game. And uh, you're also part of uh, a group of uh, mentors who are making and have made quite some uh, a difference over the last few years. Um, what are we likely to see this year, 2022, especially in the women's side of things? Um, we're watching some of our coaches, our men, whether it's Joe Montemuro, whether it's uh, Ange Postecoglou, Michael Valkanis. And uh, of course, uh, um, the uh, the guy that I know very well um, from our days at South Melbourne, a guy called Musket, who seems to follow Ange and can almost can almost achieve the, the same dizzy heights. And I understand, what have they done? Have renewed his contract again?
1: Yeah, they've extended it. Um, so I, I, I don't know the details of his original contract, but um, I, I'm actually talking to to Kevin tomorrow, uh, albeit recorded for the Football Coaching Life podcast that's um, put out by um, Football Coaches Australia as a way of educating coaches. You know, I think one of the things, George, that we've done over the journey, if you think about when you talk to coaches, it's normally when they get appointed into a job, when they get sacked at the end of a job, before a game, after a game, and occasionally someone asks a coach their thoughts, views, opinions about another game. But unless you are an Ange Postecoglou uh, and you've written a book, most people just don't know the stories. You know, mm-hmm. there there are people um, like Kevin that had a you know distinguished playing career that that, along with uh, so many others of that golden generation, and there are people like Joe Montemurro. But essentially, he finished playing. You know, I think he played in the, the Italian um, lower leagues before coming back to Australia at age 27 and then coaching juniors for an awful long time. There was no race to the top for Joe. You know, success for him has been coaching for over 20 years and learning his craft. Mm. I, I loved it in the conversation with him. He said, um, getting better is is understand, ma- making making the mess tidy. Yeah. Because in the beginning you're taking fragments and doing a whole range of things because you saw a session here and you saw a session there. And it took him a long while till he could finally sit down and go, You know what, what what is it that I want to do? How do I want my teams to play? And how, how can we work on that training tonight to make that happen? Uh, and and get getting some of that chaos organized. So I, I think you know, this is a, a, another big year. We've got, in addition to that, we've got Tanya Obstabe, who's a um, was the manager of Bristol City and is, is now uh, Chelsea's assistant manager uh, in the in the Women's Super League in in the UK. We've got Linda Wilson in her, um, who's the uh, FIFA Women's um, uh, Technical Development Manager. You know, it's absolutely incredible. So there's some wonderful things happening for our men and women in coaches around the place, and I think coaches have done a terrific job in difficult circumstances, uh, and I'll say that if I get to put my Football Coaches Australia hat on for a tick. I think what's happened in Australia in the last 10 to 12 years, we've done a really good job at licensing coaches. You know, we can, we can get people to come through the door, we can put them on a course, we can take their money and, and we can give them a licence. But I liken that to um, the Victorian government giving me a driver's licence when I was 18. They gave me a license. It gave me access to the roads. It didn't make me a good driver. You know, it took, it, it took me a fair few mistakes to become what I'm going to say I'm a pretty good driver, and I managed to survive them all, albeit one of them was very, very serious. So if when you talk to coaches, as I now do, on their journey, they understand that they learn more when they're losing games of football okay. than they do from when they're winning. The trouble in coaching, of course, is if you learn three or four games in a row, you don't have a job. (laughs) So you you then go into this space where you get to refine and and, and hopefully another position comes around. So one of the things that Football Coaches Australia um, has tasked itself to do, the members want us to do, is help. So in Australia right now, coach education and licensing is run by Football Australia and the member feds they deliver coaching licences around the country. Um, they're also responsible for ongoing coach education, but the truth is we've had over a long period of time such a small investment into coach education. that, In the main, their focus is licensing. You know, the, the, the member feds might have an annual coaching conference and, and there will be some other bits and pieces around the edges. Of I don't want to be, you know, totally unkind, but how do people get better?
0: What opportunities, what ongoing education? Well, well, Josh will tell you always there's one way to get better, and that is, Josh, how is it? Doing. Yes. It's the experience <laughs> gain. It's the mistakes yeah. you make. And as a young broadcaster, the most exciting thing and the most challenging thing is to remain calm while everyone else around you is losing their heads. <laughs> and the same thing with the coach. Correct, Gary? Oh, Absolutely.
1: Absolutely, you know, we mentioned Muskie before. Um, uh, <laughs> in, in, in you've only got to do a little bit of research about his journey, which obviously significant. Uh, you know, over well over five hundred games as a professional player, and a whole bunch of controversy in there because of the white line fever he, he had as a player. Um, uh, but you can't. You know, you just can't survive if you've got white line fever as a coach because I was just you've got to, to say, be thinking about how what's did he, going on. How, how did he make the transition, Gary? Well, uh, your listeners are going to have to tune in in a few weeks when, <laughs> when we ask him that question because <laughs> it's a really interesting one. You know, he, he did um, – he, he was a fiery character um, and no doubt that's still in there. But if you want to communicate to people, you need to be – in a sometimes look we'll we'll a lot of people um it never hurts if you let them know in no uncertain terms that they've done the wrong thing but if you shout and scream all the time i don't think you have a hope in hell of creating a learning environment you don't have a hope in hell of creating uh, an environment where people feel safe and trusted to make mistakes you know if if i can Hopefully, use Josh's situation. Josh, do you think you're a better broadcaster now than you were when you started in the gig?
2: I occasionally go back and listen to some of the first shows, and I, I have to watch through my fingers. <laughs> so, yes, is the answer to that.
1: Yeah. How, how, how have you gotten better over your journey? I guess practice, do you have a mentor, or some people that might. Give me some, giving well, I, some I, tips along the
2: way. I, I remember the other man on this call giving me a few few tips about <laughs> my, my news blasts during the old breakfast show and uh, and how I was scripting them and so forth. And we went through my scripts and, and so forth. But, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of advice from people and also just learning from watching and listening to others yeah. and you just thinking, why do I like this person and not that, yeah. that person? Because everyone's got different tastes in, in broadcasting, I suppose, and trying to yep. sort of beg, borrow, and steal little elements of other people's presentation styles and so forth. Yeah.
1: And, and you know what? I think that's what coaching is. Mm. You know, Mus- Muskie Musky, um, has had some wonderful coaches over his journey, you know, for the – Uh, Eddie Thompson, Raul Blanco, Les Sheinfeld when he was with the the Socceroos, Terry Venables, Alex McLeish when he was at Rangers, um, Ernie Merrick, Ange Postacoglu. He's had an awful lot of people that have provided him with opportunities, and I think Kevin's now obviously picked the best Mm. of that. He obviously has a very similar football philosophy to Ange. But he doesn't do it exactly the same way because he can't because mm. he's an Ange. Mm. You know, he has to play that high-intensity attacking brand of football, but do it the way Kevin can do it, the way he can deliver that and can communicate um, <laughs> with his latest challenge, which is through a translator. I was going to say he doesn't; he's not fluent in in, uh, in Japanese just yet.
0: I was going to say, as a coaching mentor, as as someone who is coaching the next layer of coaches. In this modern world of ours, where where the dressing room can have increasingly uh, three, four, seven players of different ethnic backgrounds, and we're seeing it in the EPL, uh, we're seeing, uh, of course, uh, the African uh, Cup is on at the moment, and you've got players from Mali, from Senegal, from Egypt, and, uh, and on and on and it goes. How difficult must it be not only to put to carry the characters and to give them. Some idea of where you want to go, but also uh, overcome the language barrier. Oh,
1: incredible. You know, when we were at Victory, um, we, we were the first in the A League to bring in the Brazilian players. And, you know, a few words of English are the best if you're lucky. Fred.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Alessandro. Um, yeah. Claudinho. Um, and thank goodness, you know, we had we, we did employ an interpreter to come in and help. And um, we were just blessed that Roddy Vargas, who's Chilean um, heritage, speaks a version of Spanish or Portuguese that, you know, made, made all that work. So I'm sure that happens at football clubs uh, around the world. And the other thing that you learn, of course, is that just because you have a translator in the room doesn't mean they're giving the same message the way it's coming from your mouth. Um, and I think that's part of the learning process. Particularly for coaches, you know. To, to I say red, the translation might be more pinkish or bluish or greenish. Um, so, but it, but it certainly is a challenge. And, and I tell you what, George, that isn't included to my knowledge on any coaching course that you can uh, that you can go on around the, around
2: the world. Oh, well, we We're knew Leandro. Love knew uh, knew a couple of words. We knew knew he knew disco and chocolate. <laughs> oh, I think those are oh, the right. only two. That's, but... yes, yes. <laughs> Sweet. That's <laughs> right. Recall Sweet with any cool. regularity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Corona. Um, I was just, just going to say, we've got the AFC uh, Asian Cup coming up for the for the women. The Matildas uh, side has been picked. Um, we're already uh, hearing from various elements in the marketplace uh, who they would love to see in the final eleven or the final thirteen when they when they're picked. Um, form as a coach, Gary, you, you've been on both sides of this. Do you pick potential? Do you pick the best form? Or do you sometimes have to go to the very edge, and you know the heart of the player that you want, and maybe they need that extra uh, juice of the occasion to get them over the or over the hump that's going on at the moment.
1: I, I think that's really interesting, George, because you, as a coach, you want and are expected to win every. Game yeah. compete in that's just the way it goes. As a national coach, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't go away or change. More difficult for national coaches because they have to, as well as go into qualifying uh, competitions and then into tournaments. They are they do need to win games, otherwise you can't progress. They also need to develop players. So we've seen Tony Gustafsson through. You know I can't remember how many games he's played now. Probably fifteen or sixteen games around about now. Um, you know, I, I think that latest, that last game in Sydney, where he started the two teenagers as central defenders. You know, most most fans, most coaches went, bloody hell, that's <laughs> that, that's that's sort of high risk. And and you go, is he going to start with two year seventeen-year-olds in the middle of defence in the opening game in the Asian Cup? And you go, probably not. You know, he might go for experience there, but. He will have a much clearer picture about the capability of those younger players because he gave them that opportunity. And I guess the magic in this whole thing is the coach being able to, one, show the players he believes in them, help them develop the way of play that the team goes, help them to fit in and understand that, and then at some point having the belief in them enough to say, okay, well now here's the opportunity, you take it. But I, I think at the end of the day, we want – everyone wants the best team on the park in every game. The challenge is in tournament football, the games come around fairly quickly and, you know, you might be able to get your best 11 players and they all stay fit and healthy and you can get them through 90 minutes of football and three days later they might be able to do it again. But come that third game – you know, there's going to be some tired, weary bodies. And if you're now thinking about going on to the knockout stages, you've got to be able to do it. So I think all great coaches are great jugglers as well. They they all work for the circus at some stage and spin plates on bamboo poles and they spin this one and then they spin the second one and they come back to keep the game before they crash uh, and smash into little pieces. Well, that was one Andy
2: Merrick's challenge. upbringing, wasn't it? Sorry. Quite literally. He <laughs> grew up in a circus family, I read, the other day.
1: Yeah, yeah. That would explain it's, it's in everything. A, <laughs> he does. He does do a party trick, not not very very rarely for the cameras. albeit um, he, he, I think he did do it. He was quite on camera in Newcastle. He walks around balancing a broom or a, you know, a long handle on the on his shin, walking around. <laughs> He's an, and and if he has a couple of glasses of red, um, he can you know accentuate those stories as well.
0: Uh, Gary, the thing that we're seeing more and more of, and you hear it in the commentary, and, and I want to ask the question of Josh now too, uh, pre, pre, Peter Drury and, and, and that elite crew that, that commentate on the EPL, you'll hear them saying, Conte has made this decision, Klopp has made this, that and the other, and suddenly something happens and it's normally good. Are we seeing more and more coaches actually plan a game and they say that's my that's my starting eleven, and I've got a couple of impact players. I've got a couple of options if I need to do this. Is is it almost like as Mourinho used to say? It's a puzzle, and I've got to try and and, and get fit all the pieces. Is it as advanced as that? Oh, look, there's no doubt, George. I, I think that the reality is the game of
1: football has never been analysed as it is analysed today. you know, to And think, the stats. Yeah. Oh. And so I went to a, um, uh, a sports, um, what do you call it, um, e-conference, and uh, a company were producing uh, game stats. Uh, I think this was uh, an American-based thing here in Australia, but um, and they had a program where essentially post-game they can give a coach 40-, 50-page report of analysis. Now. Every experience that I've had with a coach, they don't have enough hours in the day to be able to have a 50-page report. So I can almost guarantee that, that most of the coaches that you mentioned will have the game analysed, but they'll say to the analysts, this is how I want you to the game, to analyse the game for me, about what we do, where we do it, how we do it, about what they do, where they do it, how that goes around. And as well as that, we want to know the same information about the team we're playing next week because we need to prepare our training that way. You know, and what I think coaching, for me, I played at a time as coaching was developing. So I spent the early part of my coaching time, they were called coaches, but they were more like trainers. So we went, we ran laps to warm up. We did some sprints. We all did push-ups. We did sit-ups. There was not a lot of physical conditioning. And then we sort of played football, and there was lots of ranting and raving about getting stuck in and, you know. The best coaching when I was playing often happened not from coaches but by players, particularly professional players on the pitch, that would tell you where to go and how to do this. And then over the journey, I stumbled across a bloke called Eric Worthington, who is the grandfather of the coach education system here. And had a huge influence over people like Ronnie Smith and Ian Greener and Harry Parentview, and those coaches that have done such a great job here in Victoria. I was blown away. We, we went up to Sydney. Um, up there. It was before Australia had formally had an under-23 team. There was a tournament in Indonesia, one of those political-friendly um, tournaments that get created really quickly. We need to get a group of players uh, together. so we. We went up to Sydney. I, I roomed with uh, an old South Melbourne player. Well, he wasn't old. He was a very young South Melbourne player called Duncan Cummings. And, oh, and yes. I don't know what happened. fantastic player. This but in that training session, George, Eric ran a session that helped the strikers change their behaviours, helped me change my behaviour during the training session. In that session, and that was applicable to the game on the weekend, and it improved mine and the team performance. And I thought he was a witch doctor. Yeah. I couldn't I couldn't believe that someone could predict. We could make other teams do things to our advantage, and we could do things to take advantage of that. And not only that, that I knew if you got the ball in that right back position, I knew where you were going to play it. And so did the second striker. So if I was coming short, he was going long. And, and that was like witch doctoring. Back back in those days, and now it's, called, course,
0: it's best- called herding, Gary. <laughs> we we <laughs> yeah, call it a super right. press. It's actually yeah. herding. There are border collies that are that are bred to do that sort of thing. <laughs> Pity we don't do it as footballers. Yeah. Yeah, breed so, them to I, to to raid the opposition attack.
1: Absolutely, but, but I, uh, I think the best coaches in the world today are still doing that. They're working with people, helping them grow and develop as players, to help them be better at what they do. And, and so that they fully understand what they do and how it impacts on the people that, that they play with and around. And that's where you see, you know, how important the defensive partnerships or a goalkeeper and the two central defenders? Oh. How important is that? How oh. important is that link up the middle of the pitch? How important is it when you, you're playing with two up front or you're playing with a deep line striker and then an number 10 that they really understand about where each other's moving and when we've got the ball in the space under no pressure we're going to play in behind defenders you know there there's just more of that now because people can analyze it better and talk about it but again for me the magic still comes back to it's okay me knowing that it's okay you knowing
0: stuff about broadcasting but can you help josh become a better well, well, we're going to wait. We're going to wait over the next couple of weeks when you speak to Kevin Muskett to find out how he's, <laughs> um, as they say, reined in his white fever. I, I got a chance many years ago to to know a guy called Fabulous Phil Carmen, and Phil yeah. Carmen went from this eccentric, fabulously gifted white line fever footballer to becoming a, a super successful SANFL coach for yeah. Sturt in the old SANFL in, in South Australia. So I saw him and I remember saying to him, how did this happen? And he <laughs> said, you realise you just can't keep biffing them. <laughs> <laughs> no, he oh, too much it. time not, 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 not being able to play. So what's next? What's the next big thing for the coaches in this country and how do we get our women prepared for what promises to be a super exciting w- Women's World Cup next year?
1: Yeah, look. In terms of coaches in Australia, I think there's a, there's two really really good things happening right now. Um, Ron Smith, who's, who's helping um, uh, the national TD review and improve on the coach education. So particularly those A and B licenses and the C licenses, they're reviewing the delivery of those. They're, they're there was some criticism laid that coach education had become very academic Mm. um, and is academic today. You know, there's no doubt there is a science of coaching. But, again, you know, the magic of coaching happens out on the grass, Mm. on the pitch. Mm. And so there's definitely this move within the licences to make the the coach education Mm. and the assessment of that a lot more practical. Um, And my belief is that that's a godsend. In and around that, you've got Football Coaches Australia, um, which is a membership-based organisation. There's a volunteer-based organisation, unfortunately, at this stage until we can grow the funds to do better than that. But our task is to do a couple of different things. Firstly, be advocates for the coaches. You know, the the reality is coaches are often the first to go, Mm. uh, even when they don't deserve it. In many cases, they might have a contract, they might not have a contract. So the role of that is to, to be advocates for coaches. For me, the best thing that we can do is provide ongoing coach education. So that's online webinars on the grass. Uh, we've we've just engaged. Um, we haven't engaged him, but we've begged Ernie Merrick to come on board as, as an ambassador. And uh, Ernie's going to be providing you know some practical sessions out on the grass. And we're doing that. We want to do those sorts of things around the country. Um, we've we've set up a great partnership with X Venture. Um, the, the, the program is um, it's the Essential Skills Program, which is all about soft skills, all about leadership, and culture, communication, emotional intelligence uh, in a university environment that's online uh, and, and our own virtual college, which is a um, first worldwide, absolutely remarkable thing. So 12-hour units, and those units um, earn, um, what do we call them now, um CPD continuing professional development points so coaches can keep their licenses up to date and valid, and of course be, You know we've been through a horrific couple of years. Everyone that's in a job has struggled. It doesn't matter what job it is. COVID has has had a significant impact, uh, and that impacts on coaches. And unfortunately, you know, coaches are the ones that when when we win games of football, the players get all the accolades as they should. When we lose games of football, the coaches get blamed. Um, and coaches have a, a challenging job we need to help get better. And their mental health and wellbeing is, is as important as the players that, and everyone else that occupies a space on this planet. So they're the important things that we can do to support what Football Australia and the member feds are doing. You know, we, it, it really needs to be this sort of a relationship and we're not there to... to to take the place of them, we can't do. We can't do licensing. We don't want to do that. But all of the things I've mentioned are, are significant parts. And Glenn Worry, who's the um, who's our CEO, that <laughs> volunteers got only knows, sixty to eighty hours a week. Um, people like uh, Phil Moss, Kath Canoley, Brad Kuzmali, Nick Rosamilla, uh, um, Karen Greger, Sarah West, um, and Aish are a community just doing a fantastic group of people that. They only want to achieve one thing, and that's to help coaches get better. So we are for coaches by coaches, and uh, that's our priority
0: for the next 12 months and beyond. Oh, well done. Uh, I was just going to say to you, uh, you mentioned COVID, and COVID has terrorised the, uh, the administration that's running the A-League, A-leagues at the moment. Uh, the APL has been wondering how it can uh, schedule games, when players and others have been affected. And we've seen the uh, A-League men's and the A-League women's uh, affected. Uh, And uh, I've even watched with interest how uh, uh, Paramount Plus and Channel 10 have coped with the challenges, Uh, whether it was the FFA Cup games that they've had to reschedule. And we saw last night uh, another tremendous contest. It looks like Sydney FC has got off its uh, backside and starting to get back into that rhythm, that winning rhythm, and they beat Brisbane Raw, which means they now advance, and I think they play the Central Coast Mariners next. Uh, So we're getting to the business end of the competition even later than we imagined, but we have to get to the end, and we see that the A-League men's and the women's have had to shift and push games here, there, and everywhere. So uh, the mental health of everybody involved in in the code and the fans, has been tested. Um, a great many of the active fans have behaved very, very well. But there have been some, my friend, that uh, have overstepped the mark. How do we keep them in check? And can honestly, coaches with their behaviour on the sidelines help or hinder? Honestly, I don't honestly think they can.
1: Winning games, yes, because all fans want to win games, but even it, it always amazed me. I, I, I coached in the uh, Victorian Premier League, won a championship with the uh, Bulleen when uh, uh, Juventus and Bulleen and, and Thomastown amalgamated and together. We beat my old team Heidelberg in the grand final. We got back to the Veneto Club, fantastic facility, just a room full of people, just so happy. Uh, until about 10.30 at night, I got cornered by an old bloke that wanted to tell me how poorly we played. And I was like, <laughs> come on, man, we just won a championship. You've you got to be kidding me. I said a few other things as well, but I won't repeat those of so, you. So I think the fans look after themselves. You know, one of the greatest things, George, is, is that um, my old club, Melbourne Victoria, found a way to re-engage with its fans. And I just think they set a benchmark in the early days of the A-League, the atmosphere that they created in oh, there. Oh, it's wonderful. And, and, you know, I think Big, Big Brother and the police uh, caused some, some riffles there. But the good news for me is that um, um, victory fans are back. And they're doing, in the main, you know, in the main, they're doing a great job at supporting their team and chanting the team and creating a, a great atmosphere in, 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 the, in the stadium. Because that's what, you know, that's what we all miss, isn't it? The the atmosphere, it just makes such a difference. Watching the, you know, the Premier League this year, the English Premier League this year last year, um, we're in the main now, the crowds are back and you wouldn't know that COVID existed in a football stadium in the UK right now. Um, But the empty stadiums, uh, you know, it just, there's a lacking there. So... Yeah,
0: no magic for
1: coaches in in terms of controlling the crowds, but apart from winning games of football, because I think that keeps people happy. Um,
0: I'm just a reminder of we've got to move on, uh, but there are a couple of things I want to run past you. Uh, Over the Christmas New Year break, we've lost a a couple of great uh, people, uh, notables who've made an impact in various ways. One was a, a tremendous guy called Dave Hewitson, in South Australia, he was uh, a mentor, a coach, a player, uh, an administrator, was part of uh, uh, football South Australia, was part of uh, a number of junior organisations through Norlanga. Um, we, we send condolences and deeper sympathies to his extended family and his wife, Jan. Um, that's tough. Uh, and we lost in Victoria a guy, the best way I can describe him, was he was Australia's wild child and answer to Northern Ireland's George Best. And I'm talking about a guy called Ulysses Gokinus. I mean, there's no grander name. And Ulysses was a wanderer. And and Ulysses (laughs) was a wanderer in his prime, in his golden age. He was fearless. He could hit a ball that very few could reach. And he would put himself in places that no one else was imagined. And he was lethal. He used to upset defences like nobody's business. And, you know, he had this unique gift of doing amazingly um, spontaneous things. And can I just reflect for one moment? Uh, Dennis (laughs) Futsunas, who's the coach that we know very well, and we've had him on FNR, Uh, a bit too emotional to join us tonight to talk about uh, uh, the uh, passing of Ulysses Kokinos. But he reminded me of a fantastic episode. Uh, Kokinos was playing for Juventus. It's the dying moments of the game. Of course, Dennis is the referee. They're great mates but he's turned the defender around. He's been chopped down, blatant penalty. The whistle's gone. Uh, Dennis has pointed to the penalty spot. Uh, Ulysses has run across, jumped on the on the referee, hugged him and kissed him, to which Ulysses <laughs> suddenly looks askance when Dennis Witsinas pulls out his, his yellow card and he goes, I can't have you jumping up and kissing me. And, and, of course, the penalty was taken by uh, Ulysses. He scored the goal. He won the game. And here's the moral of the story. You can't have a coach – sorry, you can't have a great player and a referee, great mates, because you get a yellow card. Ulysses didn't talk to him for another week and a half. <laughs> so you know, we've lost some <coughs> remarkable people, and uh, you had some opportunity to catch up with Ulysses. What did you make of this this grand character? Yeah, we were at, uh, I was going
1: to say Heidelberg. It wasn't Heidelberg. Fitzroy United for a fleeting moment um, when I'm pretty sure when I first got there. We we never played him because he was, you know, the, the George best playboy. And he had the fro, you know, was yeah. some hairstyle. He he was a bit shorter than me, but I think with the fro included, he was a bit taller than me. Every picture I've ever seen of him, George, is invariably in head and shoulders above a defender, head the head in the ball goalwards. You know, he he and he, he was one of those early pioneers that went overseas and, and obviously played in Greece and 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 had a you know, he had a life that was full of mistakes and, and things he wanted to fix up. Um, but I got to know him really in the last year or so through some friends of ours in Sydney. And he's he just uh, a wonderful, a wonderful man that was really appreciating his life. He recently found love. And um, he was really, really close. Awesome. And it's just so sad. And I, one of the, I think it's off air, you know, we caught up with the old Heidelberg boys um, at Christmas um, in, uh, at Melissa's in, in, in Oakley and as we'd done the year before, we invited Ulysses along and he just loved he just loved being a part of that, you know, the football family. He loved that the football family respected him what he did and, um, yeah, it's, it's just sad. So important that we catch up with people. And we we say, you know, we should catch up for coffee or lunch. We actually catch up for coffee and lunch. Otherwise, we end up catching up at funerals.
0: Yeah, sorry, yeah, for
1: look a downer on that. But so so, it, it, so so right. You're it's, so so
0: right. We should yeah. never we should never miss the opportunity to talk to them or catch up with them and remind them of the contribution they've made to the grand game, because they've certainly enriched it. And uh, I, I can tell you that uh, we've, I've heard from uh, Heidelberg fans, and of course, South Melbourne doing what they can next week. I believe there's a funeral and a wake. And uh, depending on COVID density limits and whatever, they're going to do the best they can to remember the life and times of Ulysses Kokinos. Uh, Gary Cole, thank you for joining us. Thanks for giving us uh, an idea of what the coaches uh, are trying to do behind the scenes to help the game and to grow the game and to give those young coaches, like our young broadcasters, a bit more exposure, a bit more experience, a bit more in the limelight, in the spotlight, because that's how they learn. I,
1: I was just—I I was going to test Josh to see if he had an old Heidelberg jumper in, his, in that wonderful uh, collection of
2: shirts. Unfortunately, sure we don't. He is,
1: but um, he might not be able to find it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he does as well. George, thanks, mate. Really appreciate the time and the opportunity. Josh, great to. Chat you as always, mate. Keep the great book selling the gospel
0: of football. Love Thank you, you know. boys. Thank you. Thanks Gary Gary. Cole, Joining us on State of Our Football Nation on FNR.